so I had three months uh, away during the summer to be able to really sort of invest in my relationship with God, uh, hear God afresh for Mosaic, and also just get time with my family and invest in them. And I spent most mornings um, either walking in prayer or, or journaling. And I guess the conclusion I got to uh, very early on, sort of a week in, was that emotionally I was, I was very tired. And even though I, I, I wasn't in burnout, I wasn't in any sense um, uh, uh, really struggling with some things, just emotionally I felt tired. And what that meant was that I could feel internally, it's quite hard to describe, but a, a bit of a sense of withdrawal from God and, and from people. And so I had a active walk with God, but it was somewhat compartmentalized. Like I would do the basics, but it was almost like there wasn't a real openness in me for God to challenge me. Or it was almost like this, I'm a little bit in survival mode. And, um, and I just didn't feel like I had the energy to go there, to like, to fully surrender and fully give God my stuff. It was almost like, God, you can have this because this is what I've got, but I can't really give you everything because I didn't feel I had the emotional capacity to do that. And interestingly, what I think was going on behind that was more than just, I'm a bit tired, but actually was a fear of giving up control. Um, I, one of my coping mechanisms is that I want to control things uh, to survive my tiredness. So if I can just compartmentalize all the different areas of my life, then I'll get through it. And it's really funny when you say it out loud that I'm sort of fear of fear of giving up control, because I do believe that God's good, and um, but internally somehow I wasn't letting that really impact the way that I was living. And it was almost like I didn't have the space or the energy or the faith to put it into practice. And it's interesting, um, I've been reading uh, recently The Feeding of the 5,000, and it's, it's amazing that Jesus starts with some fish and some bread and given it was a it was a miracle it's weird that he just didn't start with any like he could have just started with nothing you know it's interesting that he had to take someone a little boy's lunch and and I I feel like that little boy with what I've got and I'm a bit like wanting to say to God well you can just do this without me but he's coming to me and saying no I want you to give what you've got and I'll multiply that and fear of giving up control always leads to trusting in myself or in others or in people instead of God. And ultimately, I just know it's, very, it's a very fruitless and unsatisfying way to live when the fear is so strong. And it's funny that we're happy to trade those things. And so recognize it in me, I was really shocked and uh, I spent the next couple of months really in a process of repenting and surrendering and choosing to say yes to Jesus. And it has brought about a deep sense of joy and peace. And so that's what I want to speak on today is yes to Jesus. I want our church, I want you, its leaders, to be growing in your desire to say yes to Jesus. And um, 
we're going to look at what might be holding you back at fully saying that today. I had the absolute privilege of getting time away to look. Um, I'm hoping that we can do that in just 20 minutes or so this morning. So Luke 23 is going to be our passage that we're going to study together. I've got it on the screen, verses 44 to 49. And we're going to look at where Jesus says yes to God. Verse 44, it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. And when all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women, who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Um, We obviously believe Jesus is the most important person in history, and history itself is split in two by his life. And whereas in this story the women sort of watch from a distance, I don't want us to do that this morning. We want to come and close the gap and notice the power in the final words of Jesus before his death. His final words summarize his passion. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus' final act on earth is an act of trust and surrender of yes to God. In the garden, Adam doesn't believe God. Jesus, the second Adam, says, I trust you. And it's important to see this because generally, culturally speaking, we don't trust anymore. If you're a millennial, so you were born between 1981 and 96. Who's a millennial in the room? Great. Who wants to be a millennial? (laughs) So apparently millennials, that was quite a large group here, 80% of you, 19% of you, only 19% of you trust other millennials. And it's really interesting because if you distrust the people around you, it causes you to withdraw even more and it means you trust them even less. And if you distrust someone, then you, um, well, you find intimacy awkward. Uh, You avoid it. Um, And it's just ironic how in society we are massively connected but it lacks any depth and true intimacy and openness. Who can we trust? Like genuinely, when you think of the world, like do we trust the media? Do we trust our political leaders? Do we trust our neighbours? Do you leave the door open at night? (laughs) That's because you keep forgetting to lock it. That's an age and stage issue, not a trust issue. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then, um, and then you think about the church family. Like who do you trust in the church? And um, you don't have to be around the church very much to know that because of the closeness 
that we live in that we hurt each other and we break trust. I feel like the direction of travel for our society is that we can trust no one and we say, it's up to me, I can't hang my heart and my future on anyone else and what generates all of that is the idol of control. And I just want to say, I think we're all in danger of this idol. So we're all in danger of deliberately and carefully controlling our lives. And we say, jokingly, someone's a control freak, but it's actually a humorous way of saying that person has the idol of control at the center of their lives. Fear of being manipulated, fear of being vulnerable, fear of conformity, fear of change, fear of pain. I mean, especially in a church like Mosaic, where we run at a pace where there's lots going on, where like change is the norm, because we're always sort of saying we want to do this because God's calling us to this. It's very easy to lock down and be controlled by our fears. And I think the idea of control is one of the biggest things that stops us saying yes to Jesus. Uh, you've heard me describe brokenness as roof off walls down. I just love that picture. That's what I, how I want to live. Roof off walls down, but control fixes the gap in the roof and builds walls that are a foot thick. And in particular, the idol of control does two things. Number one, it makes us control the outcome of our lives. <coughs> so we do think whatever's needed to get things to turn out the way we want. We hide, we pretend, we manipulate, we fake it, we retreat, uh, whatever in order to get through life. And this was my realization in my sabbatical that in this, in particular in my walk with God, but just in general, I just started to lock down control areas to protect myself. And you see it in the Bible. You see it in the Old Testament, King Saul. It would be a perfect example of this. Saul is about to fight the Philistines. He's waiting for the prophet Samuel to come and make the sacrifice before the army, to have the blessing of God before they go into battle. Samuel is late. Saul, the king, sees that the army is leaving because they don't want to wait around. And so Samuel asked for the uh, sorry um, Saul asked for the knife and he makes the sacrifices he becomes the priest and the prophet and literally as the last animal was sacrificed suddenly Samuel turns up and says the kingdom because of of you trying to control and manipulate this situation the kingdom will be taken away from you and your heart will be hardened, hardened towards God Saul wanted to control the outcomes he he didn't want to fail so he jumped ahead and ignored God's instructions. And I think we can live in a similar way. We can manipulate to control. And I think, again, just as a church, we're known for our vulnerability. We're known for our challenge. We're known for the way that we just do life together. And it's very notable when someone comes into our culture, the, the sense of openness. But like most of us don't like that. Most of us don't want to live in that way. And so, again, for some of you, for whatever the reason is, there is a resistance to vulnerability. There is a resistance to yes to Jesus, which I totally understand. But I want you to see that it's the idol of control that is at work. And ultimately, it won't give you the very thing that you need most. It is an empty idol. It feels good in the moment, but in the long run, it doesn't satisfy you in the way 
that Jesus can. So firstly, it makes us want to control the outcomes of uh, our lives. But secondly, it makes us want to control God. We think, I know, our performance can control the way God interacts with us. We use God to get what we want. And if God doesn't do what you want, then it produces hurt and anger towards him. And you see it again when Jesus rides uh, into Jerusalem on a donkey uh, the people are singing their praises, they're crying Hosanna, they're laying down the palm branches. They see him as this new king, they're heralding the arrival of the Messiah. And they know that this king should provide for them as his people. But they've got a, an agenda in mind. They want freedom from the Romans, they want a king that will set them free. And when Jesus doesn't do that, several days later, it's not even years, days later, they are crying crucify him. Why? Because he didn't do what they thought he should do. And so just be aware of that, the way that we manipulate and control God. If I give this amount of money, God will bless me financially. If I pray a certain amount, then I'll be protected from bad things. If my sexual ethics are really good, then I'll have a marriage and a sex life and all of that, which will be amazing. Because I'm giving up this, God, you're going to give me this. But God just doesn't work like that. He's not this bodyguard that just shields us from everything bad. And I hope you see that if we operate like that, that's not a life of faith. That is a life of control. If we're not careful, we don't live to do God's will, but we want God to do our will. And we will keep everyone else at arm's length. I read this, um, got this quote, if we can put this next slide up. And I just, I resonated with this. It says, my secret is that I want to be relevant and popular. I want my desires fulfilled and pain minimized. I want a manageable relationship with an institution rather than a messy relationships with real people. I want to be transformed into the image of Christ by showing up at entertaining events rather than through the hard work of discipline. I want to wear my faith on my sleeve but not look at the darkness in my heart. And above all, I want a controllable God. I want a divine commodity to do my will on earth as well in heaven. And you know, you might not sign your name to that, but I hope you can resonate with bits of what he's saying. And that's the idol of control. It's not the sort of community we're building. We want to look to Jesus, whose final cry was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. We can manipulate obedience to get God to do our will, but the Christian faith is one of surrender. Fleming Rutledge famous Christian writer, writer says, uh, have we got this? I don't think we've got this. Let me read it to you. It says, the Christian life is lived between my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And into your hands I commit my spirit. The Christian life is lived between my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And into your hands I commit my spirit. When it's not going as you want it to go, but you still trust. So surrender starts with yes, regardless of circumstances. And so how does Jesus do it? How does Jesus do it? Well, I want you to notice first that it takes him sweating blood to do it. It is hard. In the garden, 
he has got that battle going on between why have you forsaken me and into your hands I commit my spirit. He chose the pathway of faith instead of control, but you could see it cost him everything. So how did he do it? Well, number one, the word father. Jesus knew God as father. At the start of his life, Jesus hears those amazing words from heaven, this is my beloved son. And at the end of his life, Jesus cries out, this is my trustworthy father. As he leaps into the void, he is confident that his father will catch him. On the cross, um, a loud cry would have been very difficult. You know, on the cross, you suffocate. It's because you, you can't breathe. And so for Jesus to, to, to strain and pull, to be able to vocalize this is incredible. But he's not thrashing about. He's not angry but there's this serenity, this acceptance, but most of all, there's trust. And his words are a quote from Psalm 31, verse 5. This was actually a Jewish evening prayer that parents would pray with their children. And they would pray as you surrendered yourself to God's care during the night. And so Jesus, as he enters the sleep of death, he takes just this very similar step of faith. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit, not into the grave, not into the void, not into the dark unknown, but into the hands of God. And we must declare this over our lives. Into your hands, I commit my outcomes and my relationships and my finances, my discipleship, my satisfaction. Jesus's whole posture was trust in a good father, Someone once said this, if the distance between the earth and the sun is 92 million miles, so distance between our earth and our sun, 92 million miles, is the thickness of a piece of paper. So if the distance between the sun and the earth is the thickness of this piece of paper, the diameter of our galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high just our galaxy. And our galaxy is less than a speck of dust in the part of the universe that we can see. And that part of the universe might just be a speck of dust compared to all the universe. And if Jesus is the son of God who holds all this together according to the word of his power, is this the kind of person that you ask in to your life to be your personal assistant? <laughs> or your spiritual advisor? Is he even someone you think about saying, God, you can just have that? So I don't trust you with all this. Is he someone con to control? Or is, is he someone to worship and surrender to? Brennan Manning, uh, who actually struggled with same-sex attraction all of his life and fought for living this sort of celibate, pure life, he said his whole life had to be this posture of surrender. And he pictured it like um, someone on a trapeze. And apparently, I've never done it, but the only way the catcher can catch you when you're on a trapeze with two people is that you have to let go of your trapeze and hang as still as possible in midair. You can't move. 
because you've got to stay like a fixed object for the catcher to come and catch your hands. And he said that his whole life felt that he had let go of the trapeze and he was just hanging in midair, waiting for the father to catch him. Listen, when God says, give that relationship up or let that person in or trust me financially, Or minister to someone that feels very different from you. Or open up that old wound that hasn't been fixed. I totally understand it's terrifying. (laughs) But all the growth happens in the experience, not just the recognition of the truth. And that's so important because we're, we're well educated here. All the growth happens in the experience of letting go of the trapeze, not in being able to look at it and say, yeah, that's where all the growth happens, and nod your heads. So don't just nod, but live it. Don't come to the border of your destiny and fail to cross it. Without a yes to Jesus, you enter into a wasteland. You lose intimacy and authority and fruitfulness. And you're letting the idol of control win. And my own experience in my own life is that failure to obey and say yes to Jesus always results in God just taking me on this long cycle where eventually I get back to the same point. And he says, okay, will you say yes? Or, no. <laughs> you know. And it's this, it's a loving but brutal cycle. And mature people say yes and they enter a different cycle where a different area of their life is offered up as worship to Jesus. And I want to be someone who matures. It's terrifying, but you can trust your father. Discipleship is not just a matter of bending your will to Jesus' will. It's about melting your heart into a whole new shape. A disciple is not someone who simply sets a new priority. A disciple finds a new identity as God's son and daughter and welcomes God in. We're told in Hebrews 12 verse 2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. As God's son, Jesus knew joy and satisfaction would only be experienced in obedience and then on the other side of it. And I just think that's so important for our generation to hear because joy is such a massive motivator for us. You know, we want a satisfying life. We're told that that's the life we're to have, but not in the way the world offers. Joy is found in obedience to Jesus. And what happens to Jesus when he surrenders? Well, God raises him from the dead. There's vindication, there's victory, there's power, and there's authority. Father Into your hands I commit my spirit. So what I would love your prayer to be alongside mine is, Father, into your hands I commit dot, dot, dot. About halfway through my sabbatical, I wrote a long list in my journal. I tried to write down everything important to me. It's quite a long list, actually. And just bit by bit, I sort of went through it and prayed this prayer. Father, 
to your hands, I commit my family. Just sort of made my way down. It was interesting this morning as I was praying for today, I was sort of reviewing that list in my mind. And the scary thing was it was just really hard to pray it again. Because, you know, we, we give up control and then we sort of take it back again a bit. And we sort of think, oh, yeah, it's better with me. And the Christian life is that constant father into your hands. So where is the idol of control? What's the thing that God wants from you this morning? And maybe for some of you, you know what that thing is and you're praying, God, let it not be that thing. (laughs) It's that thing. Surrender is not giving up, it's giving over. And I urge you to hand it over, to say yes to Jesus. It is incredible what God does with a surrendered life. My friend um, uh, Jimmy Seibert is a pastor in the States. He, he says revival is always only one obedience away. And I just love that because there's that sense of if we're a people that say yes to Jesus, then there is a miracle, there is transformation, there is a revival on the other side of our obedience. Just one away. And so we want to be a people that say yes to Jesus, whatever he's asking. So what is he asking you for today? What's the thing that you just feel that you just need to give to him afresh? Is the idol of control winning? And do you need a moment just to repent? Just to remember the power that's in your yes comes from knowing your father in heaven. I'd love to pray for us this morning that that's the sort of community that would be and would be those that would encourage each other to have a life of yes to Jesus. So do you want to just have a moment? I'd like us to worship and pray and I'd love it if you feel prophetically God's speaking to you for to throw that in the mix. But do you want to just put things down to one side? Might be you just want to get a bit of space. You can do that if you want to. Might be you want to kneel, it might be you want to stand, it might be you want to sit, I don't really mind, but just um, I just take a moment to, to pray and uh, I'll lead us and if we could have the band back as well, Matt at least, um, that'd be great. Um, Holy Spirit, we just thank you so much for what you're doing in our community and what you're speaking to us about and particularly... Um, want to be a people that say yes to you, even if it comes through grit, gritted teeth and takes time and uh, done with great struggle, eventually we'll, we'll want to land in that place of yes. And so, God, would you just speak to us? Holy Spirit, would you just help us see control when it's at work in us? even as I've spoken, whatever's come to mind, even if it's just a, I'm not saying no, but I just need to say yes again. God, in these moments, would you be at work in us? And why don't you just talk to God? Just quietly have a conversation with him.